And here to kick us off, Bazalanaka, the first word, Kimuruti Pizzo Mochella, and he is going to be followed. Okay, Muruti Pizzo, just come through, and you come and preach the word. God bless you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We find our scripture reading of the first word in the book of Luke, chapter 23, verse 34. But I'll start in verse 33. It says, in the new, uh, in the new international version, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Verse 34, our main verse. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. During this process, this excruciating crucifixion that has been just described by Bishop right now, Jesus Christ utters these words. He says, Father, forgive them, for they, not, for they do not know what they are doing. It is a, it's a, it's a, it's a cry. It is a cry that is very interesting, a cry that says to us that God loves us. It's a cry. He could have said, oh, yo, my yo. Or he could have said, but note his cry. His cry says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This is a cry of prayer. This is an intercession that Jesus Christ is saying. He is saying for me and for you, for those who are doing a bad deed to him, for those who have sinned, he's crying, he's saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. This prayer is a demonstration of love that God loves me and he loves you. He loves those who crucified him. He loves those who are lost. He says, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Note something else. He is praying and he's saying, Father. He is praying and he's saying, Father. He could have said, Lord. He could have said, Almighty God. He could have said, My Creator. But rather, he says, Father. You see, this, the word, this, this term, Father, shows that there's a relationship between Jesus Christ and his God. It reminds me of Paul when he says, Paul says to us, we call him Father Abba. You see, Abba means that this is a, a, a relationship of trust. This is a relationship of confidence. This is an endearment kind of relationship. So Jesus Christ is saying, Father. He's saying, Father. He's saying, Father, just like me and you are saying, Daddy, because we have a relationship with our dad. We're saying, Papa, because we have a relationship with our father. Or we say, Daddy. He does not say, Lord. But he shows you that he has a relationship. But note one other thing, is that he is praying. He's saying, forgive them. Forgive them for they. Forgive them for they do not know. Who are them? Who are they? These are the day, the crowd that was crying out, crucify him, crucify him. The chief priests and the Pharisees who were inciting the crowd. A Pantas Pilot who failed to do justice by, of, of releasing an innocent man. But instead, he took a populist approach. How many of our leaders today are taking a populist approach instead of focusing on doing justice? He is saying, Father, forgive them. The soldiers who were gambling on his clothes, 
who are allotting his loads, the, 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 the soldiers who were doing injustice, the, the soldiers who were joking, who were doing this thing emotionless, callous. He's saying, Father, forgive them. How many of our law enforcement officers are doing wrong things? God is saying, forgive them even today. He's saying, forgive them on the one side, on the other side, the criminals. That represents me and you, people who sin. God is saying to them, uh, you have been forgiven. Note one thing, he says, forgive them. You see, forgiveness is in the center of the mission of Christ. Without forgiveness, there is no reconciliation. But note, forgiveness must be asked and forgiveness must be received. So therefore, we need to receive the forgiveness of our God. When he has forgiven you, also forgive yourself. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are saying. Amen. Well, let's welcome Murutima Gubani, who's going to come and do word number two. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 23, verse 43. This is our second word from Christ on the cross. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. How Christ responded to this criminal next to him has takeaways for us Christians. Today, amen. No matter how severe the sin, there is an opportunity for salvation and forgiveness from Christ. Even in the final breaths of life, Jesus died for our transgressions. And in that, forgiveness abides for us. This guilty criminal acknowledged Jesus as Savior, for he acknowledged his kingdom. Jesus knew his heart and granted the promise that despite earth's sentence upon this man, he would enter the gates of heaven that very day. So in a world that is quickly to not only judge, but to condemn, it is a magnificent relief to know that at the end of it all, God has a final say. So if we choose to recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior, we can rest assured that we too will enter the gates of paradise, just as the criminal on the cross next to Jesus did. Jesus promised this criminal that he too will be in the paradise with him, just as he offers the same promise today. So it is up to us to come before Jesus, yes, covered in sin, but also in a position of being able to receive forgiveness his promise of eternal life, and his love. So no matter how detrimental your sin may be, just like the criminal on the cross, heaven can await you as well if you turn to Jesus Christ. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Yes, we do believe in Jesus, but we still keep sinning. How depressing. We ask ourselves, what if he stops loving us? What if he finally gets sick of us? What if we are disqualified? So when doubts and fears like this creep into your mind, let your eyes look at the evil criminal who has been crucified next to Jesus. In shame and agency, he cried out to the man in the middle, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. Hallelujah. What a magnificent comfort. What an incredible display of gospel. What a priceless hope. 
This man had done nothing to earn his way into God's favor. All he had was his sorrow and confidence that Jesus had come to bring him to rescue he needed. Jesus' mercy was greater than his evil. A lifetime of crime was washed away in a moment of repentance and faith. So let this criminal be a lesson to you and to me that there is no sin too great. There is no sinner too guilty. Maybe you are sitting there asking yourself, could ever I be forgiven? Could my lifetime of wrongs be forgiven before the Lord? Could ever I, all that I have done, be saved? Yes. Just like the criminal, even you and me can be saved in the name of Jesus. God bless you. For word number three and word number four, Hotata Muruti to do the Kubu, and thereafter Umfundisi Teddy Boy. Let's give Umfundisi to do a big hand as we welcome her. Hallelujah. The third words of Jesus Christ is found in the book of John, chapter 19, verse 26 to 27. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. And I love it in King James Version. It says, woman, behold your son, and son, behold your mother. Now let's look at the sequence of the verse itself and the priority of the context. So here Jesus, when he looks at his mother and the disciple thereafter, so now we expect that, you know what, as looking at his mother and his mother being old, he was going to start with the disciple whom he loved. But he doesn't do that. He starts with his mother. He says, woman, here is your son. And he says, son, here is your mother. So now we look here. Instead of saying, my mom, because, you know, looking at what her mother was going, his mother was going through at that time, you know what, you would feel that he would say, oh, my dear mom. But he says, woman, because he was seeing this woman. He was seeing a strong woman. He was seeing a follower who followed him until the cross of Calvary. That was the woman he was seeing in his mother. So now, to the disciple, he says, here's your mother. Because he knew that the mother who followed him until the end was able also to mother this disciple and to continue to love him and to continue to support him as well. So now let's look at the difference between the mother and the woman. A mother is a woman female or a parent who gave birth to a child or children and is celebrated as an individual for her role of motherhood or maternal bond and her sacrifices she makes for her family and children. Meanwhile, a woman is an adult female human with a significant role that inspires other members of the society. She is extensively recognized by her achievements, her strength, and the role she plays in the society. Now we see both of this in the very same Mary, the mother of Jesus, and this woman. Because she was also a woman 
who didn't give birth to Jesus in a natural descent. And Jesus was not a seed that came from a man, but Jesus was a spiritual seed that came from God through the Holy Spirit. And as a mother, she also gave birth to her children that she got with Joseph, the husband. Amen. So therefore, as much as Jesus was experiencing the agony of torture and misery, when he saw her mother experiencing the same as he watched her son undergoing such torture, and it was like a sword piercing her soul, but Jesus saw something different from her mother. Listen how he addresses her, woman. So before this strong and brave and, uh, and encouraging woman, in front of him at the foot of the cross when everybody deserted him including his disciples except the one whom he loved no wonder why he loved him it was an assurance from him simply saying woman soldier on because he was not only seeing her as her mother but a follower through it all, a vision runner, a supporter of his mission, a builder who was concerned about other people's lives, an organizer who came with other women that she was encouraging to follow this Messiah as he followed him until the death of the cross. In John chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, we also realize that Mary, the mother of Jesus, supported him before even his ministry started. They were invited at the wedding together with the, his disciples. And we know the, his, the history that the wine, the, the wine ran out. Then Mary went to Jesus and told him about it. In verse 4, Jesus says, Dear woman, why do you involve me? Because my time has not come. Mary, the organizer, says to those who were there, Do whatever he tells you to do. Jesus performed his first miracle in the wedding through the assistance of his mother. So when we see John 19 verse 27b, it says, From that time, this disciple took her into his home. This reminds me of the scripture in the book of Psalm 68 verse 68, where God says, God sets the lonely in families. Now we see the exchange, you know what, of families. You know, Jesus, you know, instructing, you know, her mother now to go and stay with the very same disciple he loved. Because we, the Bible is quiet about what happened to Joseph and the siblings of Jesus Christ. But here we see now Jesus Christ now exchanging, you know what, the biological family into the spiritual family. Amen. So God indeed will always, you know, set the lonely into his kingdom because Christ completed the work on the cross of Calvary and it was a done deal for me and you. As I conclude, when Jesus saw his mother on the foot of the cross, he saw a loyal pillar of strength who stood by him from the beginning until the end, from the, from the womb to the cross. Jesus also saw a woman who was able to disciple the mother of the, the, the disciple he loved. A mother the disciple he loved. 
when, when the first woman that was created by God here on earth failed her husband, and that was, uh, 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 that was uh, Eve failing Adam, you know, and led him into sin. But we see this Mary, the son, the mother of Jesus, stood by his son who became, who came here to rectify the error of the first man here on earth. So women, you can do it. And men, remember, you are the disciples that God loved. You don't love a woman because he's a woman, but because it is the bride of Christ, the church of Christ. Woman, here is your son. And son, here is your mother. We find the fourth word from the book of Matthew 27, 46, where the Bible reads as follows. And at three o'clock, Jesus shouted with a mighty voice in Aramaic. I'm reading from TPT translation. Eli, Eli, lama sabakatin. That is, my God, my God, why have you deserted me? This statement does not mean separation of the divine nature of Jesus Christ from his human nature, nor does it mean that the Father has forsaken the Son. It means that the Father has allowed him to be tormented. His divine nature and his human nature were never separated for a single moment. If ever his divine nature deserted him, his redemption could never have been considered as infinite, rendering salvation for us. Thus, there was no rapture between his divine nature as he, and his human nature. As his relationship with the Father was so strong, the Father did not uh, forsake him. Let's consider John chapter 14 verse 1 where Jesus says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. What is the meaning then of why have you forsaken me? It does not mean a separation. It indicates only that the Father did allow he should suffer, that he should bear the blame and the suffer God's wrath over sin. That goes the emotional torment underwent. As for physical pain, God allowed that he should suffer physical through God. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That's the Bible. So the word forsaken means that the torment of the crucifixion was actually that God's wrath was excruciation, as the, uh, the bishop was saying. Finally, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says, But clearly Jesus says that he is utterly forsaken by God. Then why did the Lord Jesus say, My God, my God. Philippians chapter 2, 7 and 8. But it says, But made himself of no reputation, taking a form of a bond service and coming in the likeness of men. 
The Bible says he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Christ represented humanity in so many things, if not in all things. When he cried and said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabagatin, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that cry, there's a cry of a man who has lost a job. In that cry, there's a cry of a woman with a child who's misbehaving. In that cry, there's a cry of a woman who is saying, in the cry, there's a cry of a young person who says, why are my parents have gone? In that cry, there's a cry of a pastor who says, why are they stealing things in my church? In the cry, take your cry. Some of us, we have an inner cry. You can take that cry and put it in the words of Jesus Christ and say, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabakatini, and say with Jesus, and, and say, Eloi, Eloi, Finally, let us lean hard upon Christ, given that Christ is the perfect Savior. He will bear the full weight of all our sin. Let us abba sin. If sin caused our dear Lord, how can we flirt about sin? Sin murdered Christ. Will you be a friend of sin? Sin pierced the heart of the incarnate God. Can you love it? Christ forsaken means our acceptance and God's pleasure. Now here to do the two extra words. We've got two Yabarutibarona. And I just want to mention with the sixth word, we will have two speakers and then I'll come and close. We have Muruti Mokhadi Mujela, Dedi Bishop, and then after more, Muruti Neshishi. Let's welcome Muruti Mokhadi in the name of Jesus. Jesu Ari, Kinyorilwe, I thirst. The fifth word that Jesus uttered at this point, it was his first human expression in response to his physical suffering. This expression showed the personhood and the human side of Christ. Jesus' body was now in shock. The wounds inflicted upon him, the crowning with thorns and the nailing upon the cross were now taking their toll. He lost a lot of blood on the three-hour walk through the city of Jerusalem to Golgotha on the way to the cross. At this time, stripped of every form of dignity, he still uttered this word, I thirst. But who was Jesus saying this word to? Is it to his mother, the soldiers, or those who were there to witness? Or was it to God? Is it not common with all of us when we go through difficulty? There are words we remember for God only to hear. Knowing that no matter how soft the words are, maybe your, ma your maker can hear them. What is your burden this day? What is it that you are worried about or afraid? Remember it to God. 
Why is it that even in our darkest hour we looked to the we looked to the cross for hope, healing and comfort? First Peter 2:24 says, "He himself bore our sins in his body upon the cross, so that free from sin, that you and I might live for righteousness. By his wounds you and I have been healed. Jesus Christ, the perfect and final sacrifice for all sin. Jesus suffered that in our suffering we could know God personally. That is why in my own imagination I believe that he, him uttering this word, Jesus was having a personal conversation with his father. It was not a normal thirst. I guess that's why the bishop said he never accepted the girl. In John 4:10, Jesus answered the woman at the well, "If you knew the gift of God and who is it that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water." And he continued to say, "Everyone who drinks this water will never thirst again." But whoever drinks from the water I give them will never thirst. Is it not shocking though that the one who gives living water is now thirsty? The Bible then tells us that in the book of John 19:28 says, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished and to fulfill the scripture he said, I thirst. When we cry because of loss, pain, or fear, that should not be confused for weakness. For we are fulfilling the scripture. Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30, in the message translation, it says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. There's no burden too heavy that, get, that God cannot carry. You do the coming and the Lord will do the saving. That's the mystery of the cross. Hallelujah. Here comes the sixth word. We find the sixth word in John 19, verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave us his spirit. The Amplified also says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, it is finished. And he bowed his head and voluntarily gave up his spirit. Amen. That word, it is finished, it means it has come to an end. And when we interpret that word in the Greek language, that word, it means Tetelestai. It means tetelestai, meaning it is finished. We learn that through the cross, Jesus has told himself that indeed 
now it's the time. I'm on the cross. It is finished. We learned that that tetelestai comes from the verb meaning tell you. That word, it means to bring to an end. It means to complete. It means you have accomplished what is your need. Amen. Amen. It's a crucial word because it signifies the successful end of a particular cause of action. We learn that it is finished. Tetelestai did not simply mean that death was upon him, but rather... But rather he himself, his mission, and because he was God, and willingly laid down his own life. We can use this expression, it is finished, in the ways when we say, imagine when you climb the peak of the Mount Everest. When you reach that, that top, you will come and say, indeed, it is finished. How about when you submit your, your final copy of dissertation or essay, which took weeks and weeks and months to prepare. But the day when you submit it, you come and say, it is finished. How about when one makes his final payment on his car or on his bond? When you do it, you say, thank God, it is finished. It's the word. It's the word that we use when the cross we cross the line as you tell yourself you're doing your 10K, you're running your Soweto or any other marathon. When you reach that finish line, you come and say, thank God, it is finished. Amen. We learn in the book of John 17 verse 4, it says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work, which means you have given me to do. It is finished, it indicates that the work of redemption has been completed once and for all. And it's our result are abiding continuously on this earth. We learn that as through the mystery of the cross, as our presiding bishop says, we have wisdom, we have freedom. And I know that these words, we all understand it in our African language. I just summarize them and say, in Chivenda we say, it means it is done. In Shitsonga we say, amen. We say, and the other will say, Tetale style, it is finished. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Luke 2346 reads, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus chooses to say these words very close to the end. He mutters the energy to cry with a loud voice. He doesn't leave it to God to read his thoughts. He doesn't mutter it silently so that God is the only one who hears. This is a prayer or a statement of dedication despite the pain. A prayer of dedication despite the mocking. A prayer of dedication despite the agony a prayer of dedication despite 
the sense of horrible aloneness that he felt. A dedication made to God, knowing fully well he will resurrect. A dedication he makes to God, knowing fully well there would be victory in the kingdom and it has been assured. Jesus entrusts his life. We know as believers that our life, when it talks about life, life is not a matter of us just walking on earth and just walking up and down, but we know that life goes beyond the grave. We know that life emanates from our spirit. As a matter of fact, we know that we are spirit beings. He says, into your hands I commend my spirit. In other words, God, I give my all to you because I put my faith in you even at the point of abandoning myself. I put my faith to you even when good seems to be far away from me. I put my faith in you even when darkness seems to overcome me. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus uses these words as the final words on the cross. He uses these words as the one who is about to expire and go to heaven. He sees, speaks these words and he says these words because as we've heard, Jesus has already successfully committed his missions. Very few people die with any conscious sense of completion, especially those who have been cut off from the life of Jesus himself. Many people don't live long enough or don't live with enough purpose that they, when they come to the end of their life, they can honestly say, I feel a sense of accomplishment. I feel that I have finished what God has set me. Jesus here reinforces the fact that he has finished. He was a willing participant. And he openly declares, now I entrust even my eternity into the hands of God. That word to commend, when he says, Father, I commend my spirit, it's interpreted to place trust in someone, to commit. Jesus was not helplessly watching his life slip away, but he was consciously placing it in the care of another. He was consciously entrusting his life into the hands of God. He was consciously committing his life and tendering his life into the hands of a loving father. You can do the same and commend your life in the hands of God. Instead of trying to tough it out, instead of trying to sort things out for yourself, you can commend your life into the hands of God. You can put your future and your tomorrow into the hands of God. You can commit your plans into the hands of God. You can commit your health into the hands of God. You can commit your well-being into the hands of God. And finally, the day you leave this earth, you leave this earth knowing fully well that the price is fully paid and you have lived your life to the full and you are committing yourself into the hands of God. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. I'm depositing my life into your hands. You who is the author and the finisher of my faith. I am depositing my life into your hands. You who knew my days even before I could live. I'm depositing my life into your hands. You who gave me the first breath and even as I live and I breathe the last breath, I still give my life into your hands. Would you give your life into the hands of God and entrust your life into the hands of the one who knows you and the one who loves you 
and the one who cares for you. Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Let us pray. Father, we just want to thank you today, knowing fully well that when Jesus suffered, when he hung on the cross, when he was crucified, and when he finally died, he committed his life into your hands. Jesus knew that things could never get too rough to talk to you. He prayed to you in his last moments, committing his life to you. We know that when we are in trouble, we don't want anybody else to handle our life. We want to live our lives in the hands of God because man's hands can hurt us. Man's hands can turn the thumbs down. Man's hand may forsake us. Man's hands may set cruel traps for us. But your hand will pick us up. God's hand will hold us. God's hand will uphold us. God's hand will make sure that we are safe. And we commend our future. We commend our life into your hands. And here are your people. As we celebrate and remember your death, burial, and resurrection. We remember, Lord, that you are the one who made all things possible. And into your hands we commend our spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Bow your heads, please, as we pray. Father, we pray for every person who's sick in their bodies. We pray for healing, soundness, and wholeness. To those who feel lost, those who feel abandoned, we pray your strength upon their lives. We pray for those who are struggling. It looks like life is not fair to them. We commend them into your hands, O oh God. We thank you for the privilege of meeting together. And we give you the honor and the glory. We thank you for the many people who came to know Christ as Savior and Lord this morning. We thank you for the messages of the seven words that you spoke on the cross. As we have listened to them. And we give you the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... And everybody said...